I will never sacrifice what my family needs, maybe what they want from time to time, but never what they need in order for my own, you know, personal growth aspirations or or whatever. And I think that's another piece that it's important to say is that there is an element of sacrifice and there is an element of deciding, you know, what is absolutely non-negotiable and protecting that. Welcome to Motherload, a podcast for ambitious entrepreneurial mothers who are navigating the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful when it comes to the relationship between their desire to succeed and their devotion to motherhood. I'm your host, Lindsay Roselle, a serial entrepreneur, growth and performance coach, and boy mama of two. Each week, I'll bring you solo episodes, engaging interviews, and candid conversations that expand your capacity to do both things well, help you feel less alone, and hopefully bring a little levity to what can otherwise feel like a very heavy load. I'm so grateful you're here. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hello, Nicole. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation today, but right before we hit record, we were talking about being brick and mortar business owners and how brick and mortar is just a very unique entrepreneurial experience. So I'm excited to jump into that. But before we do that, will you will you just catch us up a little bit on how you got into business ownership and how you chose <laughs> yoga as the path? Obviously, I have that same background. And so I'm always curious about these experiences. It's like a little niche that we can talk about. And then how motherhood has woven into that journey and and to getting to where you are today. Sure. Okay. So first things first, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had no business background whatsoever. I got into the yoga space for the same reason that everyone else does, which was that I loved it and I wanted to make it my life. I actually come from the medical field. I was a clinical exercise physiologist for many years working in a geriatric rehab. And something about that very clinical environment happening around, you know, I mean, working in that environment around the same time I was kind of going on this mindfulness journey and learning about yoga made me realize that Western medicine really neglects the role of the mind, especially with this underserved population of, of older people that I was working with. And so I got really excited about mixing Eastern wisdom with my Western practice. And as they say, <laughs> things just sort of escalated until I, I really wanted to make yoga my full-time career. I landed in a place in life where the pieces lined up for me. I got out of a long-term relationship. My lease on my apartment was up. I had a little bit of capital to get started. And it was kind of like, if I'm ever going to do this in a low-stakes way, the time is now. So I you know, jumped ship, quit my job, did the eat, pray, love thing in Bali for a while. And then I came back and I <laughs> opened my brick and mortar studio, Blackbird Yoga Studio, about seven years ago. And so even though I didn't know what I didn't know, and I got into it for all the same reasons most of my fellow yoga entrepreneurs do, I had seen so many studios struggle before me. I had worked at probably like 15 or 20 yoga studios across New Jersey and New York City. And you know, the one thing they all had in common was that all of them were struggling. And so I made it my mission to figure out why that was and to really pick the brain of the one person I knew who was doing it well. So I went into it thinking I need to figure this out. I dove headfirst into every business book and podcast and blog and resource available to me to learn what it took 
to make it into a successful business. And I was able to grow it really, really quickly. So I started kind of volunteer consulting my past bosses, right? People who I'd worked for in the past were starting to ask questions about how I was able to get traction so fast. And I realized that there was just such a deep need in the yoga yoga spiritual world for real business education. So I got some certifications under me, mind body certification. I got a Martha Beck Wayfinder Life Coaching certification to help other entrepreneurs in the same industry learn how to treat their businesses like a business. So now I've got kind of two things going on. I've got my brick and mortar studio, which we're actually right in the middle of expanding right now into a much larger location. And then I've got a consulting business aimed at helping women entrepreneurs in this space, learn how to professionalize their systems and grow. So that's my professional bio, if you will. And somewhere along the way about, let's see here, uh, April 2021, surprise, I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) And so what's interesting about, about my story is that I didn't know that all of this work I had been doing to professionalize my businesses was actually leading up to this moment where my husband and I were able to take truly four months off of working. Like I did not work at all after I had actually for the month leading up to having my son and then for several months afterwards. And it was really transformative personally in our relationship and our own connection to each other to be able to get that time with our son. And I don't think I knew it at the time, but really my big why is to create enough freedom in my own life that I get to enjoy things like that. We're both entrepreneurs, actually. So my husband is also in the fitness business. We, through a lot of trial and error, have kind of arranged our schedule in such a way that we both get to spend about the same amount of time with him, which is really great. And of course, there's some struggles that come along with that. But mostly, uh, mostly we're pretty happy. So I'm sure you could ask me more questions yeah. about about the mom thing. But that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny because it's you know, the the post-pandemic baby situation, I think, is so it, it truly is paradigm shifting where we as entrepreneurs, you're already spending more time at home or, or in theory have more freedom and flexibility. But I think we saw a lot of shift in our culture around, you know, how do we make our lives fit the parenting model better than than in previous times. Right. But yeah. also the dark side of that is running businesses, especially brick and mortar businesses, especially fitness businesses coming right out of covid it was harder than it had ever been. Right. And so, I mean, I lost my studio during COVID partially because we, we took the opportunity to, to give up on it when we were, when we were no longer in love with it, but like that came at a massive cost. What I want to jump in on is this idea that, you know, you spent time professionalizing a business that the speaking specifically about brick and mortar and and, in the fitness industry and then yoga, like this niche, 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 right. And I'm going to go a little deeper on this because obviously I have a yoga background too. And I've spoken a lot about it on the podcast where there are certain aspects of, of these niches in business where there's this reputation of I'm here because I love it. And I, you know, like money, eh, I'm not going to put the systems in place. Like I, I don't want to overcharge people. And there's some like shame or avoidance of making it a business and thinking Mm. about it like a business. And People like us who have more of that entrepreneurial spirit and aren't coming into the business just because we love it, but also because we want to run a a successful business, we see all of this and go, you know, wait, like, why is this industry so challenged where 
other brick and mortars can can charge or even other fitness modalities can charge three times what we can charge and have full memberships, right? And I think one of the things I want to touch on is like you really recognize that and you built a business from the beginning with that in place, which then allowed you to give yourself space when you were ready to become a mother so that you didn't have to be present in your brick and mortar business every day. And for those of you that have never owned a brick and mortar or maybe aren't deep into the entrepreneurship journey, when you own a brick and mortar business, especially a yoga studio or anything like that, you have to be there all the time. Like you can have managers, you can have teachers, but like pretty much, I mean, you and I are in that like yoga studio owners Facebook group. Like the shit that goes down <laughs> in fitness businesses is crazy. And it really does require presence a lot. So for you to build it professionally to begin with, and then to give yourself the space to take time for maternity leave, I think is really, really rare. So can you talk a little bit about, not necessarily, it's not a yoga podcast, we don't have to go so deep on that, but what were you really aware of that you would need to build into the business to to make sure it could run and survive and not be on your mental load in those initial days of motherhood? Sure. Okay. Well, first things first, I didn't really have a choice but to make the business successful from the beginning, right? Like this was going to be my career. I didn't go into it with any kind of like financial cushion or a partner who was going to support me. I mean, my choices were like, make this work or go back to work. That was it. And that was a very kind of threatening position for me to be in because I really, really wanted to have something that was my own. So I was sort of motivated from the get go. And the other piece was understanding that profit is not a dirty word. One of the things I've kind of come to know over the course of my business journey is that a business has a hierarchy of needs, just like a human being does, right? At the very base of the pyramid, you need food and water and sleep. You know, at the very base of the entrepreneurial pyramid, you need sales and profit. It just is the thing that makes everything else possible. So the kind of higher levels of the pyramid, and this comes from Mike Michalowicz's work, if you're familiar with that at all, the um, Fix This Next system, you know, the higher, more aspirational elements of the pyramid are things like legacy and impact and order. And those things are great. Most yoga entrepreneurs or spiritual entrepreneurs go into it for those reasons, but it's not supported by this very necessary sales and profit foundation. And so I understood that really early on. And I made sure that I baked profit into all of my pricing, that I wasn't making, you know, silly decisions because I thought that, you know, X and X workshop or sale or whatever was a good idea. Like I was very, very much aware of what was really moving the needle on my business. Again, I don't think we want to go deep into yoga, but like one of the big mistakes that I made in the beginning was doing a teacher training really early. And I was kind of like enchanted by the big pop of cash. But then once it was over and those payment plans were up, I realized I was kind of right back to square one in terms of membership growth, which is the lifeblood of a studio business. So I totally redirected there. So I went into it with that kind of headspace of making just smart financial decisions. The other piece was that I was not afraid to bring in help. You know, I hired a manager fairly early on around the same time I was developing that teacher training program. I brought in actually a couple of different types of support staff because I knew that I wasn't going to like do all of the marketing for the studio and handle the operations and, you know, handle the, the teaching staff. So I brought in people with different skills to kind of fill in those gaps for me. But then when I got, you know, I had my son and I needed to take time off, I had done all of the kind of 
strategy pieces of like laying out standard operating procedures and making sure everybody knew their roles and responsibilities. And I had done all that. Then I had to exercise trust, right? Because I really had to let go of the outcome. And you're right, there are a lot of things that come up in a brick and mortar studio business that you want to be there for. But the truth is that motherhood really shone a light on what was important. Like one of the things I joke about with my studio clients all the time is there's really no such thing as a yoga studio emergency. Like there's no reason why I need to be the one to solve everything all the time. And so I really put a lot of faith in my management team to make decisions, to take initiative wherever they felt it was necessary. And even if I didn't necessarily agree with every decision, which I didn't, I had to learn to let go of that in order to kind of grow grow that trust. And that was, I think, the thing that made the extended break possible. Yeah. It, I was just on another interview earlier today and we were talking about, this is like an aside, but this idea of like burnout and, and the badge of honor of burnout and how that shows up so much in these kind of businesses where it's the spiritual community, it's the wellness community, but there's a lot of burnout going on in the ownership or the management of those businesses because we're not putting these systems in place or we're not thinking about it like a business. And one of the things we were talking about is, you know, th- this cosmic joke of like, what if instead of thinking that success is going to come from overworking and burning out and being there for every emergency, quote unquote, and, you know, dying on the mountain of like supporting the business, what if you did just trust mm-hmm. that you really can, tr- you know, delegate to people? You really can trust that. There is no such thing as an emergency unless like the toilets are overflowing or something. And and that the the energy of the business will actually be more healthy if you aren't hovering and, you know, it being exhausted by it all the time. And I think that that's not just a brick and mortar thing or a yoga thing like that transcends out into all of entrepreneurship where so many of us are conditioned to believe that if we're not exhausted by our business and we're not working till midnight and it's not so hard that success isn't going to come. And what you just said, I think, is the key of all of that, which is you just have to trust that if you've built it mindfully and you've built it strategically and you have people to support you, the worst thing you can do for it is continue to exhaust yourself with it, right? The best thing you can do is to trust. And that leads me to this question of with people that you work with and through your own journey, and then like just the broader commentary on entrepreneurship, where do you think that conditioning comes from, you know, and it's especially the spiritual side of all of that. And how do you, in your consulting work, working with other business owners, especially other owners that are mothers, how do you work through that conditioning of like, I have to be there for every emergency. I do have to be exhausted by my business or I'm not doing it right. Or the whole thing is going to burn down if I'm not involved in every single decision. Mm -hmm. So when I started consulting, it was very much business strategy, right? Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Go do it. And that has its place. But the more I started working with really women in particular, it became clear to me that there's no amount of black and white strategy that's going to help if the mindset is what's standing in the way. And that's why I kind of went on to do my life coaching certification. I don't call myself a life coach. I don't practice life coaching, but I do weave mindset work you know, into my consulting with my entrepreneurs, because I've seen so many times that there's no amount of advice or recommendation that's going to work if the person receiving that advice has a block in the way. And so I work a lot with thought work and really just kind of 
questioning those beliefs. One of my favorite tools is is the work by Byron Katie. I don't know if you're familiar with yep. that at all. Yep. Is it true? Is yeah. it true? <laughs> yeah. And the next question is, can you absolutely know that that's true? Is it absolutely true that if you don't answer an email in 24 hours, the place is going to burst into flames? Or, you know, is it true that you need to be physically present for every single event in your studio? Or is it true that a business can't be profitable and spiritual at the same time or whatever that belief is, you know, really kind of untangling that and not just disproving it because that's not enough, but showing my my client or the person I'm speaking to evidence that the opposite is often more true or closer to the truth is one of the most powerful shifts I think that you can make, right? Like, yeah. actually, there was that time where my manager handled that situation beautifully and I didn't have to be there at all. I was on vacation. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that, right? So I do a lot of that kind of stuff with my clients when those things surface. Yeah, I wish more people would trust that, you know, like, and and not even just in brick and mortar, but in every type of entrepreneurship I think our culture is so geared towards rewarding, you know, exhaustion as the measure of status or mm-hmm. um, productivity as the measure of status or or like deservingness of your success. And then in mothers, I think it's like particularly insidious because we also have the additional mental load of everything else going on aside from the business. And somehow we, instead of addressing it with mothers and helping mothers, we we like make a joke of it with funny memes or we we have like mommy wine culture where we... <laughs> where we glorify or, or, you know, like, yeah, you're supposed to be exhausted. Just drink three glasses of wine and you'll be able to sleep. Don't worry. You know? And it's funny because I think some of my wellness training and my yoga background is like you're saying, you know, I, I have so much mindset and Eastern medicine and like whole body, holistic, energetic training to go, there is something really, really wrong when tons and tons of people are expressing that they're exhausted by the thing that is supposed to be their passion or they're exhausted by the thing that is their livelihood. And our answer to them is like, go numb it away with some alcohol, Mm-mm. you know? And and these are women who are also, they not only have business babies, they have human babies. And, you know, with the spiritual background and the mindset work that, you're, that you mentioned in that training and stepping into consulting and looking at like, I built a business and it's successful. Now I want to help other women do it or other people do it. What are some of the most common obstacles you see people facing, not just in the yoga industry, but in general as entrepreneurs, either mindset or business strategy, like common principles that are lacking in today's entrepreneurial environment? Oh, man, what a big question. I mean, first things first is belief in oneself, right? Like uh, there's this theory called entrepreneurial hubris, where like uh, uh, someone in our position needs to believe that it can and will work in order to be successful. And I call that risk tolerance. Yeah. (laughs) You have to just be like insanely risk tolerant because a hundred percent, it might not work, but you have to believe it will. You have to believe it will. And it is really, uh, even to this day, and I've worked with probably 300 studios at this point, the number of people that I speak to who don't actually think it's possible to make a living this way is kind of staggering. So that's day one, square one, because like I was referring to before, no amount of, you know, Facebook advertising and mind body hacking is going to change the the belief that this cannot function 
as a, you know, a full-time career or, or whatever, right? So that's kind of number one is that you've got to know it can work or find evidence that it can work, find people who have done the thing that you want to do and tap their brains. That's really, really important. The other pieces, I guess, that really surface for me the most, one is just vast undercharging. I mean, I and this spans all industries, all kinds of businesses, but I find so many women in particular wildly undercharging for their services and then totally scratching their heads about why they are constantly busy, but also always, you know, scraping the bottom of the bank account. So, you know, I'm not one of those consultants who's like, just take the amount that you want to make and divide it by the numbers that, you know, divide it by the number of hours that you want to work and there's your price. I mean, that is, you know, so crazy to me. I, I think that, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, I would like to charge $4,000 an hour, but that's probably not going <laughs> to. Good luck. Yeah. 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 Good luck with that. Right. So I'm not one of those types of people, but I do think that most people are, you know, really, really selling themselves short and then wondering why there's, you know, not enough left to go around. So money mindset stuff is really important. And then the third piece is having a niche. Like I think you said it earlier. One of the reasons I've been successful is because I have really embraced the concept of niching down. I mean, I'm a business consultant for primarily yoga studios. I just, recently this year got a little wild and started taking on other types of boutique fitness businesses. But I'm really squarely in my lane. And that has what's helped me become known for something. So I think one of the things that I see a lot of people fall prey to is, you know, my services are for everyone. My target market is everyone. I don't want to exclude anyone. And by doing, you know, the message is nice, but by doing that, you're actually targeting no one. And that's a problem, particularly in a saturated space like the yoga world, or even a saturated like online coaching space, you know, you've got to really establish yourself as an expert in something and and own that. Like, I've talked to a lot of people who don't want to say I'm an expert. It's like, no, no one's going to buy something from someone who kind of knows what they're doing. You've got to be <laughs> um, confident that, you know, that you're the, you're the go-to. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is like, as you're talking like these, uh, these three things are related to like the belief in self, I think is in my mind is where it all roots back to. And I think you probably agree is all of the, the money mindset or the undercharging is probably related to a, a worthiness, ultimately a worthiness issue around, am I deserving or qualified to charge the, the amount I should be charging? And the idea of niching down triggers so much scarcity in a lot of people where like, well, if I say I'm only for this people, like there's only a thousand yoga studios in the country, like, well, that's not enough people. And you're like, well, if you had 10% of them, that's a hundred clients paying you, you know, a thousand, couple thousand dollars a month. Like that's a, that's a million dollars. Like that should be enough. Right. You know, and people, I think get into the scarcity mindset around when you start to say you have, you can't be for everyone. When the 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 truth is when you are only for a certain type of person and you become known for that, like you said, you can charge more and it's easier work because people's expectations of you match what you actually want to be doing for them. And to me, all of that roots back into mindset, like you mentioned earlier, and and belief that you're qualified to be doing what you're doing. And and you mentioned it, which <laughs> the way you said it was really interesting because I I see this in every industry, which is the belief that you don't think it's possible to do it while you're actually already doing it. So you have evidence <laughs> that it's doable and you you can do it. And it's like imposter syndrome or we label it as all these other things, but we are living the proof that it's possible and yet we don't believe it. And when you look at like other ways that that shows up in life, you're like, well, you don't think it's possible to be a good mom, but like you're a great mom every day, you know, like you don't think it's possible to 
to love your body, but you figure it out over time by by doing the practice and doing the work on accepting who you are. And so we can do it in other realms of our lives, but then we come into in relationship with money or our relationship with our ambition. And all of a sudden it's like, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> and I, you know, I I wonder where you from your intuitive brain, you know, your experience in your personal life, but also just spiritually, existentially, especially related to motherhood, where does that lack of self-belief root? Like, I'm really trying to get at understanding because I have my opinions, of course, but I love this question around like, where do you see it, especially in mothers, the, the lack of, of belief in self or the, the worthiness stuff that seems to get really amplified in motherhood? Where is that rooted for a lot of people? Hmm. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I think it, for me, at least, it's one thing to be only responsible for yourself, right? Like, if it's just me, and I fail at this, I don't really have a lot to lose, right? But when there's another life at stake, and there's another human being involved, and that human being is more important than anything else, any business, any other endeavor in your life, it really brings up, in at least in me, a tremendous amount of, of doubt, right? Like, if I'm driving the bus, I can kind of play these failures off as, you know, I don't know, learning experiences, but I can't afford to learn on my own son, right? Right. So I don't know. I just think the stakes are higher. And I put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself in every arena of life. And motherhood is is no different. But gosh, to to get to the question, where does it come from? I think I just have this kind of high performing type A type of personality where I want to excel at everything. And yeah. I know that that's not possible, but doesn't keep me from trying. <laughs> I feel like it's a, a millennial. It's like partially a millennial thing because I think our generation was. Yeah, I'm squarely a millennial for sure. Yeah, yeah. same, like really, really <laughs> conditioned to believe that we had to do everything well, you know, and mm. I say this on like every podcast because it's this I can hear my dad's voice like you can do anything. And I I've identified through so much in our work that hearing you can do anything and being like cheered on in that in that energy. I read as a child, like my inner child reads that as I need to do everything. If mm -hmm. I can do anything, I should be doing everything I'm interested in. I should have a business in every industry I've ever enjoyed. I should be the best at it all, you know, and I don't think that's what our parents meant or that like our parents generation meant. But I think a lot of us took that on, especially women in that generation took on like, I've got to be good at everything. Mm. I think I have to prove it. And and we see that play out in our careers, which, you know, to some extent, like, oh, good job. Like you're successful. Like we're you know, we're talking about we had successful careers. I, I think it's once we become mothers and that's continues to play out and now it's amplified because the mother load stacks on top of everything else. That's when it becomes destructive or it can because now there's just an immense amount of pressure that we put on ourselves in service to what, you know, like, yeah. who's our boss? Like motherhood is, is profoundly messy, you know, and I'm not yeah. like the type of person who does well with that at all. I'm very much like, I like things in order. I like things to be in a neat little box. I like to tie a bow on it at the end of the day. I like it to feel, you know, that's always been a blessing and a curse to me is that like, I like to finish things. And so I'm the type of person who will stay up until midnight until my inbox is at zero, you know, but you can't do that with a child and, and you never quite finish it. And it is very sloppy. And that's profoundly uncomfortable for yeah. me. 
but it's also been like exactly what I needed at exactly the right yeah. time. Yeah. And it's like good nervous system work for a lot of us to it. With the yoga background, I feel like a lot of what you described around feeling more pressure once your mother comes from this like primal survival instinct that kicks in that goes, it's much different to survive in the wild, you know, for animals. If you're by yourself and you are the only, you're only scanning for danger for yourself, you only have to self preserve. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. once you bring a young, like an offspring into that picture, and now you're having to scan the horizon constantly for what might also eat your baby, your brain, like the, the nervous system is just attuned to a whole different level of vigilance. And, and I think when we translate that into modern living and business ownership and relating to our partners who might also be entrepreneurs, it's like everybody has this heightened sense of vigilance, which can really quickly get turned into negative patterns and habits and beliefs when we see problems come up in the businesses or in our mothering or in our relationships that aren't immediately solvable, right? It's like, well, I've got to stay up to midnight to get this email out because, you know, like somebody's for sure sitting by their computer waiting for me to respond <laughs> sure. to them. It's less about them and a hundred percent about me, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I see that being something that we can grow in awareness of if we have the tools and we have support and coaching and mentors and things like that. But I, I think a lot of us are, if we don't have those things, we're running around daily in this like primal survival fight or flight mode going, I have to like, literally, I have to stay up to midnight because it has to get done or I won't survive. The business won't survive. I, then I won't be able to feed our kids and blah, blah, blah. You know, and and that's the, like you mentioned earlier, I guess that's when the work would come back in and go, is that really true? You know, yeah. Does it does it have to get done at midnight or could it get done at 9 a.m. tomorrow? But I, I love this conversation because I think so many of us, whether you're in any entrepreneurial industry, can relate to that feeling as mothers of the, the like impulse to get it done, to close the loop, to get it off the mental load when and the and counterintuitively what that does to a lot of us is increase the stress level right like make it less fulfilling make us yeah. less present that's exactly what i was going to say right it's like when going for a walk with my son becomes another item on the list it loses all of its magic mm -hmm. you know and i really needed motherhood specifically to bring me into presence right like it's it, it's a little bit ironic that i started my career in the yoga mindfulness world and then got so sucked into business that I basically became the polar opposite and motherhood has been the thing to sort of level me because the thing that was most shocking about becoming a mom for me was that I actually didn't want to work like I, I really didn't want to have anything take my attention off of that really important time with my son. And so I'm super aware of my tendency to be like, okay, you know, got to make the organic meal and then I've got to close the loop on that. And then I've got to go for the walk and then I've got to make sure he has time outside. And then I've got to make sure he sees his grandparent, you know, like I, I know I can go there, but that awareness has actually really helped me savor the time that I do have with him yeah. quite a bit more. It's interesting you bring that up because that's such a common such a common feeling for high achieving women who then become mothers like over and over and over and over. I have this conversation with women where they're like, <laughs> I don't know, I loved my work and I was so defined by work and I'm such an ambitious person and I've always been a high achiever. And then I had a baby and like, it's like I fell out of love with all of that and that ambition died. And now I just like, just maybe I just want to be a stay at home mom and get some chickens. And we laugh about it, but like that's deeply a deep fracture of the identity, right? Because we're, we're people like us have been so successful and so comfortable in the, in that performance identity that then 
when we feel ourselves go, I don't really want to work today. It's like, whoa, what? Yeah. You know, like, excuse me. Like, that's all I know of myself. <laughs> yeah. And having the, the awareness to go, this is interesting. Okay. Like, what does work look like for me now? What does business work look like for me now? And you said it earlier, like only doing the things in the business that only you can do and letting everything else be done by someone else, even if they're not going to do it as well as you. Yeah. But trusting that like, that's the only way. Yeah. That you get to be in balance or in alignment with how you want it to feel now. And and I think that that's a really, really hard thing for a lot of a lot of us entrepreneurial mothers is accepting that we want it to feel different now. We just but we don't know exactly what that means. And there's some danger or some like some trepidation about experimenting or testing the waters to go. Maybe I do need a consultant to come in and help strategize things. Maybe I do need to hire a manager. Maybe I do need to shut down some offers in my business so that I don't have to deliver so many things. And like, as you've said, and I agree, that is uncharted territory for a lot of us where we don't know how to navigate it. And it's triggering, right? For sure. I mean, I I went through a tremendous amount of coaching and self-exploration when I was pregnant because I was terrified of losing my identity. I was mm. like, I, I, refer, I, I hate to say this publicly, but I did not refer to my son as a he until he was born. It was like, it's this thing inside of me. And yeah. like, I had no, I also had like a difficult pregnancy and I just really like did not make a connection with my son until the moment he was on my chest in the hospital. And I looked him in the eyes and I remember being like shocked that there was a human being in front of me. Right. I was like, oh my God, you have like, it has eyes. Yeah. <laughs> like I didn't. Like, oh, this is, this is actually a real baby. Oh my yeah. God. It was yeah. like mind blowing. I will never forget it because there was just a, a chip missing while I get It just never had that like maternal instinct. I never was like, oh, I'm so excited for the baby to come. I, I didn't have a baby shower. I thought they were weird. Like I, I went to buy my baby by myself at like 40 weeks pregnant with like three shopping carts, you know, and was like, I think I need stuff for this kid. Like I was, I, I did not nest at all. You know, none of that happened because I was just so terrified of, of losing who I was. And then when I looked him in the eye, when he was on the chest in my hospital, I remember distinctly saying to myself, oh my God, you're a person and I'm going to do my best for you. And I said it to my husband. I, I felt every cell in my body changed the moment I had my son. And the most shocking thing was that I, I didn't want to hustle as hard. I didn't want to work as hard. Everything else felt so much less important. And then of course, you know, as I started to, you know, work again and and pick up clients, like those pieces of me that, you know, will always want to build and always want to grow something and always want to have a creative outlet Like they feel I I treasure them so much more because it's not all of me anymore and vice versa. You know, it's the the businesses are the thing that makes it possible for me to get this time with my son and to, you know, and to be present with him. So they kind of they kind of dovetail, right? They work both ways, but it's a work in progress, too. I mean, I have some days where I'm like all business all the time and then I get really down on myself for you know, not having been with my son. And then it's hard for me to, you know, like I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks. I'm already like, oh, it's going to be really tough to get back into work mode after that. So, you know, just figuring it out as I go along. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as you're speaking, I'm like, we separate ourselves from like, we are the identity of our performance and our capabilities and all the things, our achievement. 
And we start to, as we become mothers and that fracture that you describe happens where it's like every cell of your body goes, holy cow, I'm different now. Mm -hmm. Like if you have the, the ability or, or, you know, I don't mean to make it sound like some people have it and some people don't, but as you put the practices in place to heal the identity and, you know, for some people that happens quickly because they did the work ahead of time for some people that takes years and they're coming at they're coming at it when they have five and six year olds going, holy shit, you know, I don't even know who I am anymore. But regardless, the point is like the place we want to get to, it sounds like you're at is now I can be in relationship with my ambition. Now I can I can look at it and be discerning to go, is this really as important to me as it feels in this moment? Yeah. Okay, it is. I'm going to prioritize that. And that may mean that my time with my son suffers for a week or two while I focus on this this ambition thing. But but it's no longer like this compulsion to get mm-hmm. it done, right? It's it's a decision. And and there are also things that come up where you're like, I'm really excited about this new thing, new idea. Like it feels really exciting in the moment and then you look at it with that discerning lens and you go, "Uh, eh, you know, I could delegate this or this could be something we do in 3 months after vacation. Like this yeah. isn't an urgent thing." And now that we're in relationship with it, instead of compulsively, you know, (laughs) interactive with it, we can say, I'm interested in that. And an old version of me would have stayed up for a whole week in a row till 2 a.m. to get it implemented in the business. But now I'm not going to do it till the fall. And like, I think getting to that place in the new motherhood identity with ambition, where you have the ability to say, this is an urgent thing or an important thing that I am going to address right now. And my my devotion to my parenting may suffer a little bit. And I may have less time with him, but this is an important thing for the business. And the vice versa, true, too, where you say, no, you know what? Actually, this is not a priority with everything coming up with the kids. That is magic. And I, and I yeah. think when we get there, a lot of us that have gotten there, are like you can get there, like that's where you got to get yeah. and that you can still have ambition. And there still are things that are going to come up that you're like wildly excited about and have to get done right now. And you will get a little extra childcare or whatever. And that doesn't have to be everything. And you can choose. This thing that you're saying is really, you know, like I said earlier, I'm a fit things into a box person, but I get really excited when it all comes together (laughs) and it makes sense. Right. But it's like you can use motherhood as a superpower in your businesses, right? Like this lens through which you really gauge whether or not these things that you're considering are even important or worthwhile, you know, and when you can kind of put that filter on of priority, it actually makes decision making a lot easier and simpler. So I love this idea of kind of like, I don't know, using one to to feed the other. Yeah, but it's a skill, right? It's a practice, mm-hmm. like the yoga terms. I, I, I use practice a lot. And like I I'll, I pull that into every all my work in in motherhood. It's like yoga. Nobody walks into the studio and, and can like do yoga perfectly. There's no such thing, right? Like you might have a gymnast background and be able to like nail a posture, but that's not the practice. The sure. practice is only mastered by doing the practice for years and years and years and being living in the practice, right? It's like the practice is the practice. <laughs> that's it. The destination is the practice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And everybody's like, eh, you know, I don't want to have to practice like practice isn't sexy. I just want the outcome. <laughs> but motherhood can be the practice like it it yeah. gives you this ability to go. This is a lifelong thing now. And I'm going to be in the practice of asking myself this question and and being discerning. And I will sometimes mess up. And that's what practice is for. And over time, I will 
become better at it and I will master aspects of it and it will get, I'll have the muscle memory and things like that. And that's where you get two or three or five years out from having some of these awakening epiphany kind of things. And you go, oh, like I can be in right relationship with motherhood and my business and I can have joy. I can have abundant financial abundance and not work 60 hours a week. You know, like, oh, it is possible. And that's, I think I live for those moments probably like you do where like, yes, like you figured it out, (laughs) you know? So the last thing I wanted to chat with you about, because I think it's such an interesting topic and I, I know you have experience here and it's, it's relevant in everything we've talked about is this idea of the, the mother being the breadwinner Mm. in the family. And for people like us, where we're in entrepreneurial partnerships, my partner is also an entrepreneur there's like a, a slightly different dynamic if both of you are risk tolerant and entrepreneurial, but one of you way out earns the other. But for a lot of mothers who are entrepreneurs, they're the one, they're the breadwinner and they're carrying a lot of that risk that we talked about, like that you have to believe in yourself. And they have a partner who maybe has a different type of job or you know has been retired by the business or something. And I wanted to, to hear your thoughts on in your experience with yourself and, and in your work with other business owners, that dynamic playing in relationship to motherhood and, you know, the how much pressure does being the breadwinner of the relationship add to the mother load around what we've been talking about with, you know, burnout and, and ambition and wanting to get it all done, but also wanting to really be a great mother? What a great question. I mean, I would be lying if I said I didn't have days where I fantasize about just like going back to my career, like making, you know, decent money and calling it a day at 5 p.m. and getting benefits. And, you know, like that, that is definitely something that surfaces every now and again. Although at this point, I don't think I could ever imagine working for anyone but myself. But certainly the craving for stability exists there. And I am aware of my own patterns when I start to feel a sense of scarcity or or lack or like some impending bill, right? Like I will start hustling on Facebook and DMing, you know, and like, I don't like that side of myself. So I definitely am aware of my patterns there, but it's certainly a lot. And the question is, how do I balance the breadwinning with the mother load? It's, it's been a really interesting exploration with my husband, you know, it's forced us to kind of really crumble, not only, you know, societal standards, but also like within our own family system kind of things. And it's been, um, you know, challenging to him in certain ways. I mean, he had a very successful career as a nurse for a really long time. And then he went on to focus on his jujitsu school, his, his business, but that's not, you know, super well respected in, in his family circle. Right. So there was a lot of that and a lot of explaining what I do, which was not particularly clear to our families. So we had to work through that. And I think that, again, just all back to mindset, that awareness of my own tendency to reach and grasp when I'm feeling desperate is actually the worst thing that I can do for myself has probably been the most freeing thing as well. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you have to have risk tolerance with money. I go through ebbs and flows where I have great months where things are cushy. And then right now, you know, I'm in like a high expenditure month where I'm going through this build out with my new studio and bringing on lots of people in the consulting business. And like, I just know from experience, from my own experience, that these things will happen and that they always work themselves out. But of course, having another life in the mix 
changes things a bit, but so far so good. I can, you know, lean on my own trust. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's what you said. It, it I, I think the core of a lot of breadwinning is, you know, and that, that term's kind of silly, but, but yeah. the idea that like, you are a financial provider for the household. And now you are also under the mother load being the primary parent. A lot of times the primary person worrying about things yeah. related to the child. Plus, if you have a business and it's led by you, a personal brand or a brick and mortar where you're present a lot, you basically have a, yet another baby. Right. So that the amplification of everything we've talked about, I think, when you are also the primary person bringing an in income for the family is a whole nother layer of importance around the mindset and belief yeah. in self. And also the like motherhood as a superpower that I love that you said that, <laughs> like really looking at, okay, yeah, fuck yeah, I can be the breadwinner. Like I am, I earn, I know how to, and I'm going to notice when I'm playing into these patterns, I'm going to use motherhood as this discerning filter to go, wait a second, this may feel like I'm grasping, like I, I feel like I'm feeling scarcity. I want to go earn money, but I can play this out now. I can game this out yeah. a couple steps and know that's going to shoot me way out of alignment and I'm going to pay for it later. I think that's a point of exploration for anybody listening that is in that breadwinner role and managing the mother load to go, wow, like I have a whole extra layer of weight on me when yeah. I'm the person primarily responsible to bring income in. I will say, you know, I'm talking a lot about trust and belief, but I will also say that motherhood has forced me to put up some pretty firm boundaries too, mm. right? So like one of my rules as I'm going through this expansion process is I will not take food out of my own family's mouth, right? Like I will never not pay myself. I will never, you know, I have my kind of comfortable salary numbers. And fortunately, my businesses are large enough that if I do have to make some cuts or changes somewhere, I can do that. But I will never sacrifice what my family needs, maybe what they want from time to time, but never what they need in order for my own, you know, personal growth aspirations or or whatever. And I think that's another piece that it's important to say is that there is an element of sacrifice and there is an element of deciding, you know, what is absolutely non-negotiable and protecting that. And so I have my business set up for that. And I will make decisions based on whether or not it's going to require me to, you know, take something from my family. Yeah, I love that. And I, and I think that's the truth, right? Like, I think it can look from the outside, like we're doing everything and you're saying yes to everything and you've got it all. And you're like, actually, no, I say no to a lot of things, including things I personally want, but aren't in service to the greater good of the system. And I think being more real, like, that's an opportunity for all of us to be really real about that in these kind of conversations to go, hey, the way that the business is going to be successful long term is if I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. so yeah. I've got to I, I will prioritize my boundaries, my my limitations and my decision making above all else. We could keep talking. There's so much of this, but I appreciate like the candor around trust and belief and all of that, because I think. More and more, I believe this every single conversation I have and the deeper I get into to business and motherhood that no amount of strategy will ever out, you know, will ever make up for a lack of inner work and it will never help you get to the goals if you can't figure out the stuff that's going on inside of you. And so I echo what you said that the belief work and knowing yourself really well and having the boundaries, having the ability to say no to things is what's going to make you successful in a business long term. So. Before we conclude, can you share where people can find you online to, to learn more from you and, and everything you're up to? 
Sure. Uh, so my brick and mortar studio and wellness business is Blackbird Yoga Studio. You can find blackbirdyogastudio.com. We're in northern New Jersey, just outside of New York City. And my consulting business is worldwide or Spark Strategies. So sparkstrategies.co. If you want to kind of find my musings on business and mindset, my most active place online is it's Facebook. It's the Profitable Studio Community on Facebook. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your time today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you having me on. And thank you all for listening. And I will see you on a future episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode and know someone else that would benefit from today's conversation, it would mean so much to me if you share this episode with them or even share it to your social media and tag me so I can personally thank you. As always, I am so grateful you're on this journey with me. And until next time, remember that even when the load feels really heavy, you are never alone.